since learning the truth about alcohol over four years ago, I've become pretty skeptical about anything that seems too good to be true. You know, like alcohol. If you're like me and you can spot a too good to be true health hack from a mile away, congrats, you're a skeptic too. Ritual knows that every good skeptic deserves a multivitamin that exceeds our standards. I take Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus every morning because it has high quality and traceable key ingredients in clean, bioavailable forms. It's gentle on an empty stomach and has a minty essence in every bottle that helps make taking my multis actually enjoyable. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com forward slash sober mom. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com forward slash sober mom for 25% off. All right, you guys, I am currently struggling with a pinched nerve in my neck. And if you have ever had one, you know the pain. So I am feeling super thankful for today's sponsor, Tanasi. Tanasi's CBD, CBDA is two times better than CBD alone and better than over-the-counter ibuprofen, acetaminophen, and aspirin. It helps soothe and relieve my aches and pains, like my pinched nerve, and it's great for sleep and anxiety, so I put it on right before bed. Tanasi was discovered by a team of chemists and biologists at Middle Tennessee State University, and 5% of all revenue is given back to the university partner for ongoing research. It is THC-free and comes in a range of products. I love the topicals, but you can also choose from soft gels, gummies, and tinctures. Satisfaction is guaranteed. Try Tanasi for 30 days, and if you don't love it, you get a full refund. Go to Tanasi.com and use code MOM to get 25% off at checkout. That's T-A-N-A-S-I.com to get 25% off your first order with promo code MOM. Hi, welcome to the Sober Mom Life podcast. I'm your host, Suzanne, of My Kind of Sweet and the Sober Mom Life on Instagram. If you are a mama who has questioned your relationship with alcohol at times, if you're wondering if maybe it's making motherhood harder, this is for you. I will be having candid, honest, funny conversations with other moms who have also thought, hmm, maybe motherhood is better without alcohol. Is it possible? We'll chat and we'll talk about all things sobriety and how we've found freedom in sobriety. I don't consider myself an alcoholic. You don't have to either. And maybe life is brighter without alcohol. I hope you will join us on this journey and I'm so excited to get started. Hello, welcome back. To the Sober Mom Life podcast. I always feel like a 90s DJ, like, welcome back to Sober Mom 98.5 FM. I hope you had a good weekend. I am excited about today's episode. We have Jamie Glowacki. If that name sounds familiar, it's probably because you have once potty trained a child or maybe two. She is the best-selling author of Oh Crap! Potty Training, Everything Modern Parents Need to Know to Do It Once and Do It Right. She also wrote Oh Crap! I Have a Toddler, Tackling These Crazy Awesome Years, No Timeouts Needed. So yes, we do talk a little bit about parenting on here, but we mostly talk about Jamie's story. Her story is an interesting one in sobriety. She quit drinking during those crazy motherhood years and then kind of went back to it. And we talk about what she learned. There is some talk about plant medicine, marijuana in this episode. That is not part of my journey, but this is a no judgment zone. And so I don't judge anyone if that is a part of their sobriety story. If for some reason that'll be a trigger for you, or if you are just morally against it, maybe just skip that part, skip this episode, but don't skip it because I think you will like Jamie's story and you will love her. So it is a good one. Also, don't forget to come and join the Sober Mom Life Cafe. We have so many women over there who are sober and sober curious and just examining their relationships with alcohol without judgment. We're shedding the shame and we meet all throughout the week. We have Discord chats, we have book club. 
And it's just an overall grand time. They really are the most supportive, badass women on the internet. It's $15 a month. You get bonus podcast episodes. You get so much. So come and join us. The link is in the show notes. And as always, make sure that you rate and review the show if you love it. And then also make sure to follow it. Okay. I hope you enjoy this episode with Jamie Glowacki. Oh my God, Jamie, welcome to the Silver Mom Life Podcast. Hi, to be on your podcast. I know. I feel like so I was on yours. Mm -hmm. Oh crap parenting. Yep. First of all, that name is (laughs) amazing. You had me at Oh Crap. I was on yours a while ago. And so I'm finally glad that you're on mine. Yeah. I am so happy. So I interview a lot of people, and I have to tell you, I have referenced our podcast more than any other podcast guest because really yeah i just think your whole approach and i know like there's a lot of people in the sober space you know so i don't yeah. know if these were yours but there were things that you have said that so reverberated and i'm like no 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 you don't understand you could quit drinking and not be an alcoholic did you know that <laughs> yes, and, yes and i just like a softer place to land did you come up with that phrase yeah yeah. It's so like I think. I mean, I'm also learning that literally like there are no new ideas, right? right. And right. so and so like I think I did. I hope I did. Right. I didn't if I stole it from somebody, I didn't mean to steal it. Someone might be listening and be like, "I said that too." And I'm like, "Okay, I didn't know." I try not to pirate anybody's ideas. You know and what? Really though, what just, happens is there's a tipping yeah. point. So there's so many things for your audience. I'm a potty training and parenting expert. I'm the author of Oh Crap Potty Training. And yes. there are so many things that I know I invented that have now become just part of the zeitgeist. And you can't trademark ideas, right? So it's like this really interesting thing because I'm like, no, that was mine. But I guess you hit a certain point and it just becomes part of the culture. How does that feel though? Because there is like intellectual property, right? I don't know what the difference is. is really tricky. It has to be like 25% of your like almost exact words. So that doesn't bother me as much as like there's some really big accounts that have literally stolen my work. And I know because (sighs) I've gone through it. I'm like, it's mine. But the more irritating thing is when it's like reworded so exactly that you know somebody knew they were evading copyright. And so that is like when I get, mm. <laughs> totally. Whatever. That is a thing in the sobriety space too. Like there are sobriety influencers. I'm not going to call them out. I mean, I could, but I won't. I'll be nice. I've blocked them all. Yeah, they just go and steal. And you're like, I literally just posted that exact thing like last week. Yeah. <laughs> right? I don't know. It just feels like it takes a lot more time to instead of coming up with your own ideas, just to like go and follow and it feels lazy. It's the danger of content rich. You know, I was in business yeah. uh, 15 years ago where like it literally took 13 hours to get a, a video up on YouTube to render it. And so it's really? like never ceases to amaze me that I can like film, edit, yes. and have it up with like captions. Like I know I sound like a boomer to my son, but I'm like, this is miraculous. Yes, yes, (laughs) That's a content rich. It used to be everything was in a book that a teacher had to teach you. And now we know content like you want stories. We're like all creators. Right. And so now it becomes part of the culture. So yeah. Wait, what's one of your things that you created? I want to know. Like what's out there that's been out there that you're like, wait, no, that's my idea. Oh, like definitely commando. So the phase of potty training where you go without underpants because there's a muscle memory to like, if you think about where underpants are snug around the thigh and the waist, it's like a thin diaper. So your kid has been from birth Like that's a cue to use as a bathroom. And so a lot of parents, like if they try to use underpants too fast, they just get accident after accident and then they run into it. So that – Okay, you guys, that was Jamie. Okay, just so we know, telling your kids (laughs) to go commando in potty training was Jamie. Okay, I just want it on the record. That's like huge because that now that's just like a thing that people know to do when you're potty training. That's huge. Okay. Well, my book has been translated into 17 languages. So it's like, you know, I mean, at this point in time, it's just, you have to accept that some things just become law, you know? I mean, that feels, that's got to feel pretty badass, I got to say. It does. What felt really badass was getting the 10th anniversary rewrite. So, so yeah, I just did that this summer. So I got to rewrite the book, which was amazing because you think... Like at the time, I thought Facebook would be the thing forever, you know, so you put Facebook and now I'm not even on Facebook. So like there's so many things. And when I wrote my book, 
I literally had never worked with a dad. So this was in 2009. And so people will put on social media like, oh, it's not the 1950s. Like they'll slam me for this. And I'm like, where were you in 2009? First of all, because most of my clients probably were in high school. (laughs) Totally. Yes. And dads just weren't apart. They were still babysitting their kids. We weren't talking about the mental load of moms. No. And the number one request I got from dads was, could you just give me a cheat sheet? I don't have time to read the book. So at the end of the book, there's a cheat sheet for dads. And oh, in the new revised, rewritten. No, 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 no. In the old one. In the old one. Oh, so you just had a dad. Okay. Yeah. A cheat sheet for dads because they were constantly saying, I don't have time to read the book. Just tell me the the broad strokes. But now in this day and age, people get so upset that dad get a cheat sheet and I don't know. Oh, yeah. And it's it's also like people just don't understand publishing. Like once your book is published, it's in (laughs) stone. Yeah, you can't edit that. Yeah, people would be like, you should fix this. And I'm like, yeah, let me get back to Simon & Schuster. (laughs) (laughs) So so that was really cool just having the chance to rewrite, add more things that I've learned and – Oh, you know. that's amazing. Okay, you guys, everybody go get the book. Is the rewritten no, version out? No, that'll be published okay. May of 2024, but the current okay. version will still be available. So if you have a baby, wait. <laughs> okay, if you have a baby or a baby on the way, wait for May. Go get the one right now. We'll link everything. We'll link everything in the show notes okay. too. Okay, I didn't mean to start off this interview talking about pirating content, but I like it. <laughs> Let's talk about, I don't know your sobriety story or your journey or what what is there? And so I'm excited to hear it. Oh, wait, I wanted to tell you because I told you this on my podcast. One of the great things about having the rewrite is in my potty training book, the first one, I literally say, if you need to put wine in your Cheerios to get through this, a couple years after that, I was like, why did I write that? Oh, yes. Yeah. So anyway, I got to fix that. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) That's what we need in this mommy wine culture world is for people to go back and say, wait a second. So remember when I was encouraging moms to drink wine because I didn't know any better? That's fine. Like there's no shame in that, right? But I want to amend it and just let you know that that makes it harder actually or that it's not necessary. Take a sauna. (laughs) Yes, exactly. All the chocolate. Well, you know, my son is 17. So mommy wine culture wasn't ramped up yet. It was starting, but it wasn't ramped up yet. Okay. So it was starting even online. There wasn't much online. No, I think it was more like people were at my mom groups, like you break out the wine at three o'clock, you know, Um, I had my son in San Francisco, very close to Napa Valley, wine was a given. Yes. So yeah, so I grew up in a really abusive childhood. And no shock, I also am a kind of person that just like throws, I'm all or nothing, I have to be an abstainer, not a moderator, just in everything, because I I just am. I also can look back. I was telling a friend just yesterday, because we're talking about our kids now with drinking and drugs. And I'm like, you know, how about we create kids that don't need to leave their existence, right? Mm. Don't need, you know, my son got busted for drinking. And I was like, why? If you feel uncomfortable, leave. Don't drink to bend yourself into feeling comfortable, you know? Yeah. So I can look back and I said, oh, yeah, well, I was a fucking mess. Like in my teens and 20s, and I was throwing myself at like dissociative anything, just anything, getting out of my skin, getting out of my head. I had a growing disorder. So I was tiny. I kept growing till I was 26. So I was super tiny. Oh, wow. Um, Okay. I didn't get my period till like late senior year. So that created this like crazy thing around 12, 13, when my friends wanted to be like kissing boys and I was still playing with dolls. Like I was still flat out playing with dolls in eighth grade. And probably people were treating you like you were younger than two, right? If you're smaller. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm only five, four, but I still have that Napoleon complex. Like, dude, you should, every picture of me is like this because I'm like (laughs) just constantly trying to be taller. And you're like, don't you know I'm a fucking badass? Right? You're <laughs> like, yeah, I, I might like be little. Compensating thing, right? Middle child, December birthday, look at me. Could somebody look at me? So the drinking started young, you know, but we were Gen X's. Everybody was like stealing booze from their parents. We were smoking in the woods. Totally. And there was no conversation around like, how are you feeling? Like, oh. they didn't want to hear from us. You'd get an eye roll. Like, <laughs> totally. And, like, like a, 
smack upside the head. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I don't care. I don't care how you're feeling. Like, listen to me and that's it, right? Yeah. And then so I think it's such a different time. Like, the conversations that I have with my kids, I did not have right. until adulthood. But we also have science. Like, I'd be like, Pascal, sit down and listen to Andrew Huberman's episode on alcohol. Yeah. There. Now, yes. you make a good decision. <laughs> like, we have so much more science behind so it. So much. Yeah. And yeah, so I, you know, drank got through high school. We were all partying. And then, of course, went to college and moved to San Francisco. And I just think it's really funny. Boozy people find boozy people. So I started working in the restaurant business and then working as a bartender, which involved like my entire 20s was like drinking through the night. I mean, just through the night, you'd bartend till two, you'd get out, you'd party. Somebody said something about cocaine recently. I was like, oh man, if cocaine were legal and like didn't do anything bad, I'd do it every day. It would be like coffee, you know, but I, yeah. all the drugs, all the things. And then the bar business can be incestuous and promiscuous. Like everybody slept with everybody. <laughs> totally. It was super fun though, Suzanne. It was super yeah. fun. And I think part of recognizing any struggle you might have with alcohol is saying, no, 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 I had a good time. <laughs> Till I didn't. Right. Right. I think that's really important to point out because we talk a lot about the downsides of alcohol and how it's poison and how we hate it and all of the, all this stuff. But we also got something out of it. Right. It also served us until it didn't. And it's that until it didn't or when you finally realize like, oh, maybe I'm outgrowing this thing. And this thing that used to be fun and that used to right. provide me escape now is so harmful and it's just not fun anymore. Yeah. And then I had, you know, things seized up. I mean, Draco was kind of always part of my life again, especially in San Francisco. I did circus work for a while. I was a musical theater performer. So like you- Hold on. <laughs> Hold on. You think that we're just going to glide over uh, circus work? <laughs> okay. I am from Baraboo, Wisconsin. My first job was at the circus. I was not in the circus, but I worked in a gift shop and I had to clock in by the clowns and the, the clowns were terrifying and I hated them. <laughs> I had to clock in and they were like smoking and like everything that clowns people think they are. What circus? The Ringling Brothers. Oh, yeah. Barnum and Bailey Circus. Yeah. What was your circus work? I did trapeze and I <gasps> sang on the trapeze like way before Pink. So when Pink what? came out that time on the Grammys on an aerial hoop and everybody was like, my phone blew up. People are like, Pink stole your act. And I was yeah. like, no, Pink can have my act. <laughs> You're like, I created that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I did trapeze, like solo trapeze. And then later I gave it up. I went into social work. And then I started doing like aerial silks, I think like in my 40s. And that was super fun because I did, I moved to Rhode Island and I would do like one-off gigs. So like convention centers or something. And it was fun because you got the like gasp from the audience and you got the applause, but you weren't like traveling or anything. Yeah. What a life. That sounds amazing. Yeah. And I stopped doing that. And then I started doing like these Spartan races, like the endurance obstacle. Like I just like to hang from stuff. So yeah, that is so cool. But you know, all by way of saying like doing that, like, you know, you can't, the Russians can drink. Like, oh my God. Yes. Like I perform yes. with Russians and they, like, they must have vodka in their blood. <laughs> like they would do shots before doing five-person teeterboards. So that's like when somebody flings you. Wait. Okay. Hold on. What are they doing? Someone flings you? You know when you're on like a, a seesaw? Yes. So one guy jumps and then the other guy goes up on a, like maybe on everybody's <laughs> shoulders. They would do a five-person high teeterboard like with more vodka to kill a cow. Like it was oh crazy. Oh <laughs> <But laughs> not Most people aren't like that. So like there was enough reality of like going in and out that you could convince yourself nothing was wrong. Oh, I totally. can stop. I can stop because I'm doing a show. I also like I had a particular vocal range that I would get hired for specific notes. And you couldn't wow. do that if you were like drinking and, you know, right. partying. So, you know, you could let it go in and out. And then I got pregnant with my son. I got drunk, got knocked up on a vineyard in Napa Valley. <laughs> Well, huh? I mean, it sounds pretty nice, actually. <laughs> for, for drinking knocked up stories, that one's pretty good. <laughs> and then, you know, obviously I quit drinking for him. Then we moved back to Rhode Island. He was like 10 months old. And I started to get into that. Like, I'm so stressed. I'm so stressed, you know? Yes. Like, one glass of wine, two glasses of wine. And I love how you and all the quitlet points out that wine somehow is okay. Oh, I'm good. I'm 
It's right. just wine. Yeah. yeah. You're like, I'm not that Russian, like doing shots of vodka. I'm, it's wine. Like the label's pink, you guys. Right. And if the label's pink, that means it's fancy and it's safe. And it's for me. It's exactly. feminine. Yeah. yeah. And then I just was like, no, I just knew. Like, I just was like, I'm not present. I'm not being a good mom. Like, and I kind of was doing these quick trips back to the past and like, no good decision mm. has come out of this. Like none. Right. Even I love my son. I'm blessed, but he wasn't expecting. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, it wasn't a decision. Let's say that. <laughs> and so, so I'm like, nothing good, like drama, you know, my family trying to be the generational curse breaker in my family. I was like, nobody is going to give my therapeutic work validity if I'm staying late on Thanksgiving drunk as fuck to tell everybody what's wrong with them. <laughs> yeah. I mean? Yes. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> then I quit drinking for a long time, just a really long time and loved it. That first year, I think because I really wanted to, you know, you go through those first. I think that's hard for anybody. Totally. I think it's you that said, like, we're all social. Everybody thinks they're socially awkward going to a party. And I'm yes. like, oh, no, we all are. We all <laughs> so are. If we can all just give it that 10 minutes to be weird. <laughs> right. We're all scared. We're all weird. We're all nervous, like, all the time about what people are thinking about us. We're all socially anxious. And probably if you're not, you might be a psychopath. <laughs> I don't well, know. You know. I don't I know. Maybe even not. I didn't realize but... it until my son said we were going to a party or something and I am the kind of person, I like to be early. I don't mind being the first person there because I like to be planted while people come in. Yes. I don't want to walk into a full room. Right. And it's weird because I am an extrovert. Like once I'm there and I present as an extrovert, I can tell the stories and be lively. But my son said, oh, I hate this part. I have knots in my stomach. And I was like, oh, I do too. And I, I said, I thought, Maybe I was the only person who had knots in my stomach. And I get obsessed with logistics. Like, is there going to be enough parking? Should I park in their driveway? Are they a shoes on, shoes off family? Shoes. Uh, Shoes. Yes. (laughs) Shoes. Like, Like, (laughs) we need to include on Evites or invitation. You need to tell me if this is a shoes on, shoes off party because that – that's all I'm thinking about. That's literally all I'm thinking about. Yes. And parking and coats. Where am I putting my coat? Is she taking my coat? Am I going to put it? Like, what do I do? All of those things that we <laughs> think know, were the only it's a people. Party and they forgot to tell me and I'm not. Or what I'm if it's only not one. a costume party and I'm dressed up? <laughs> we, we had a, something at our country club last weekend and it's a costume party, but kids were going. So I was like, I need so much more information. Are just the kids dressing up? Are we dressing up too? I had so much anxiety about it. I texted like four of my friends. I took polls and I'm like, are you guys dressing up? Someone's like, maybe. And I'm like, nope, not good enough. I need a yes or no. Right. Like, tell, tell me so I don't feel like the asshole. Yeah. All of that. Yeah, totally. And then I think, well, let me go back a little bit too, because I wanted to say yeah. like in my 20s, 30s, and I'm very open on, about this, like even on my podcast, in my early 20s, I started cutting. So that mental state got exacerbated with alcohol and I had tried AA a little bit. It never sat well with me because yeah. I was a social worker. It never sat well with me that like, I'm just going to, that I'm flawed. And I just thought like, God, even in therapy, we don't make somebody talk their story over and over again because it can be re-traumatizing. Totally. And there's also like, you start to live in victimhood, you know, and anybody who's found it helpful, great. I'm yeah. thrilled for you. But for me, I was like, I don't know if this is helpful. Just hashing just it stay out there. All, year after know? year after yeah, year. It just yeah. didn't sit well with me. And I do think there's that thing you always talk about, that stigma, like, oh, I'm this. So now I'm this. Right. Like the, you're labeled forever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so can I ask a question? Of, so the cutting is, it started in your 20s? Yes. Is that rare for it to start a little bit later? At the time, I was the only sample size. Like, I mean, really, it was a big... Which that had to be hard, too, that you're like, wait, so no one else is doing it? This is just a me thing? Yeah, I had heard about... Luckily, I'd worked with a therapist who said sometimes it does happen, you know? Yes. I think it's a really interesting thing, but it caught on. So social contagions catch on with preteen to teen girls. And then it caught on just like anorexia, bulimia, you know, any of these things that can be social contagions. I think especially with young women at that age, they're we're all in a lot of pain. Our bodies are so foreign. I mean, I I don't know any 
young girl like that who's happy with everything, you know? No. So I think if you see a friend do it and you're like, oh, and they say, oh, it relieves the pain, you know, Mm. or it helps. And so then you get into that territory. So yeah, at the time I wasn't, but I had worked with this excellent therapist and that's actually how I got into social work because I stopped cutting. So then I moved up the social worker ranks really high because they didn't know what to do with cutters. And I did because I could help these young women. And so I ended up working with Alan Frizzetti and um, Marsha Linehan. So they did dialectical behavioral therapy, DBT. So I ended up training with them and doing DBT with my clients. And so that was sort of my in, you know, and then borderline, I was like such a bullshit diagnosis, but I happen to work well with borderlines. It worked out really well. It's like, Everything happens for a reason. Right? Exactly. And like our pain points, when we start to heal through our pain points, it's so true that then we can just be guides and help people. And and that's exactly like why I created this space of like, oh, yeah, this is what I needed. Yeah. And so then I think it was more like recently, probably, I don't know, maybe two years ago. So I belong to this gym and we're all like, our like ethos is we do hard things, you know? And so we do these like really challenging races, but everybody like equally parties for the, like, it's probably the most unhealthy gym, but they look the strongest. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) And so everybody's like partying, partying, partying. And I was like, you know, my son was older and I didn't have to be quite so present in momhood as you have to be, you know, zero to six or, and I was like, you know, I'm sick of being the person who says no. I'm sick of being the person that goes to bed at 8.30. I'm going to try these white claws. But the gym and myself, I'm 55. I just started looking around, like drinking creates such repetitive behavior. Like, are you going to tell that story again? You know, totally, and like, yes. it started to look really ugly just because we're all older. And I was like, mm. oh, we're all still wrestling at the end of the night and peeing pants. Like <laughs> literally, like I was like, right. Like nothing's changed. Like Come on. <laughs> like at some yes. point, like, maybe that's okay in college, but not at 50. Oh my God. That's so true. Like you take drunk, like 25 year olds and they don't look that much different than drunk 50 year olds. Meanwhile, I was learning so much about what alcohol does to the system, to the menopausal woman, to our yeah. Organs and I was like, dude, I'm such a health nut about everything else. And I don't know if it was Holly Whitaker, I don't know if it was you, but somebody was like, you can do all the biohacking shit you want. And as soon as you put alcohol in it, you're negating it because your body totally. goes right to metabolizing that. So you're not burning fat, you're not, your hormones are out of whack. You know, we all make terrible food choices at midnight when we're drinking, right? And so uh-huh. I was like, oh, it doesn't matter how much you're doing for your health, you're just pouring poison. Totally. And then the Andrew Huberman, I think, was the one I was like, no, not even one is good. Right. Which is fine because I've never been a one person anyway. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I feel like a lot of people aren't just stopping at one. Yeah, our culture is obsessed with alcohol. No, rarely do people stop at one. Well, and I really, again, pointing to you, I told you, I reference you all the time, even in just my head, is I'm like, (laughs) don't romanticize that first one. Right. Because, you know, that does feel like I'd love a sip. I'd love, you know, but who am I kidding? I've never taken two sips of wine in my life. (laughs) Totally. And and it is like we give alcohol such a pass for what we want it to be. And we're going to be stuck in that forever thinking about what we want alcohol to be, that we want it to be this like, you know, Italy trip, uh, Napa. It's so romanticized. Once you open your eyes, you're like, oh my God. And it looks so great on the commercial or the billboard. And you're like, I've been at that house at 12 a.m. and that's not what's happening. Exactly. Yeah, they're not they're not featuring their customer on those billboards and in those commercials. Those are not drunk people. Well, I remember too living in San Francisco with the wine culture being so big because of Napa Valley. And yeah. I mean, I was smart about wine. I knew the pairings, you know, so that elevates it. But somebody had they had just come out with those like oxygenator stoppers for wine that like so that the wine will barely go bad and I remember opening and be like I don't what is this and they were like oh it's a wine stopper for leftover wine and I was like you're like I'm sorry leftover wine (laughs) but what's odd is when you're in the bar business and my family was heavy drinkers and like extended family was heavy drinkers like I didn't meet my first person who never drank till I was 25 and she was like oh I don't drink and I was like oh why? Yeah. yeah. And you're like, let me hear the rock bottom story. No, she was like, oh, I never drank. I just don't like it. And I was yeah. like, what? Like that exi- I didn't even know that existed, you know? Totally. So part of my culture. So yeah. And then I started training two years ago in psychedelic trauma work. 
so I facilitate and then also take part. And so it was this summer, it was probably about four or five months ago. And I was at a party and having some wine. And then I, the next night I did a psychedelic journey and it, the answer came to me so clear. It was just like, so if you do psychedelics, especially psilocybin, people will say like the mushrooms give you messages, you know? Okay. And one thing yep. was like, number one, I am an excitable person. And once I'm excited, I like to be even more excited. So mm. like, that's what it always felt like alcohol, like made me better. It made me more the life of the party. And I was like, dude, you don't no, you don't need anything. Like you get out of bed at four happy. Like you need no assistance in anything. And I was like, even stop caffeine. And I was like, yeah, uh, that's true. So even before podcasts and everything, I was like, what if I brought myself down a notch? Cause I get so excitable. And so like CBD has been great. Cause like a little bit of CBD and I'm like, okay, I'm not going to talk as fast. I'm not going to try to get like all my thoughts out to everybody at once. And so just like that, the switch went off and I was like, mm. oh, this isn't for me. And this isn't for me for the rest of my life. And that was it. And then wow. I did a few things like to back my, I joined your cafe. Yeah. I did find no low, no low spirits. Oh, I don't know this. Okay. It's good. So it's like fake gin and it's so good. And it just makes you feel like you're part of the party, even though I'm like, it's my fake gin. It's my fake gin. Right. And like everybody at my gym's like, wait, where do you get that fake gin? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you know, I can't say what's going to happen forever, but it definitely, that switch went on and I was like, maybe my, maybe I grew out of my gym. Maybe I don't want to mm. hang around with, drunk people are boring. They're fun for the first two hours and then they're just boring. You know? They really are boring. They're boring. They're too much. Sometimes they're scary. And you don't realize because most of the time you've never been the sober one around drunk people, right? Unless right. you're pregnant and pregnancy just doesn't count. Like it's pregnancy not. is just so, it just doesn't count. Right, it's right, so right. different. I like your story because it sounds to me like when you were talking, it sounds like, so that first stretch of sobriety was really kind of your why was for your son. And like, so you could show up in motherhood and really, right? And yep. then once he didn't need you as much anymore, yep. you were like, oh, okay, I'm going to go back into this. And now your your kind of newfound sobriety sounds like it's for you. Yeah, exactly. And I think too, what was really interesting is with the gym and everything, and it it's, could be coincidental with the age of my son, but when I started drinking, he started getting in more trouble. And it wasn't like I was sitting around. I mean, yeah, having wine at holidays and in the house, you know, it wasn't like I was sitting around like, right. But I was like, wait a minute, what am I modeling? Because I'm convinced, I'm not convinced of the genetic alcohol gene. I am convinced of a learned behavior. And that's what I learned is, oh my God, I'm so stressed. And I have a friend at my gym who has very high anxiety, drinks a lot. And her daughter has high anxiety and literally said to her, I can't wait till I can drink wine for my anxiety. Mm. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. Let's not do that, you know? Yeah, wine or alcohol is really good at – then we don't have to figure out how we're feeling. Yeah. Right? And if we don't figure out how we're feeling, our kids aren't going to figure out how they're feeling because that then that's just not a conversation we're having. And it's it kind of goes back to what we were talking about, like us Gen Xers, how we grew up. Like when we don't give our kids those tools, and by give them, I mean like model them by saying like, I am so frustrated. I Like I say this probably like every day at 530. I am so frustrated. I need five minutes to myself. Okay. And then you walk away or you go in the pantry or you dive face first into chocolate, which is okay, whatever. You're showing your kids, okay, I'm identifying the feeling. Then I'm saying the feeling and then I'm saying what I need. And in order to do that, like you need to be able to figure all that out. And with alcohol, you just can't or you don't have to. Yeah. I think also like you're just everything like when you go into the teenage years, you have to be sharp as a tack. Okay, I'm scared. Okay, yes. You have to figure out how to be regulated. And I think this is true for the toddler years too. You get some grace from like the 6 to 12 range because that's a fun okay, range. Okay, this scares me though. You say this and, and my oldest, okay, so my middle is 6, yep. but my oldest is 9. It's feeling like already, even last night, I was like, oh, are we like kind of the just like, stop. Like, I can do it. Just leave me alone. You know, like that kind of teen. And I'm like, are we already here? So I think it's happening earlier for some kids, but nine is a magical age. So nine is the age in like Waldorf schools where they go and do a trip by themselves with a teacher, but without the parents. Oh, wow. I think it has something to do with like your last teeth 
I forget the parameters, but nine is like the veil lifts and they start to realize that they're not the center of life. And so then that's jarring because now you have to contend with the world. Okay. That sounds heartbreaking too. And that's a good perspective. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good perspective. I think for moms to hear if moms who are in this, because of course, like I'm having this like angsty nine-year-old who's never kind of talk to me that way or treated me that way. And of course, my shackles go up at first, right? And that's always what I have to contend with. Like, no, this is not about me. Right, right, right. And so to think about her kind of internally freaking out because she realizes, you know, it's a big, scary world out there. Like, I think that that helps me then have compassion for her, even through the sassiness. Well, and also, like, I think, like, kids are going through it. And I think for girls, too, like, just with other girls, you know, like the girls, like they lean on each other and they compete. And I think that it hits a little bit earlier, but I read this about teenagers, which I think is wise to remember in the preteen years, which is they have to know everything because if they knew what they didn't know, it would be crushing. And I'm like, oh, and I remember being 17. I was on the city bus going to school and I sat down with a deep sigh because I knew everything Mm. and there was no moral superiority in it. I just knew everything. Yes, and I yes. knew this to my core. And of course, every year after you realize how little you know. Totally. But- well, and I think without that, you know, like I think about the decisions I made after college or after high school, but definitely after college when like they, you have to be brave, right? And so you have to think that you know everything in order to be brave. Because if you you allowed yourself to be like, oh, maybe I don't know what's out there, you wouldn't leave the nest. Right. Yeah, my son and I had a glitch for about four months because it's just me and him. Mm. So we function much more like a democracy. I have time for all the feelings, you know, we were definitely clashing. And I realized that they go through this, like, it's almost like Tourette's, the sarcasm, the eye rolls, I know, because they'll turn around if you ride that wave and don't react. They'll turn around the next second and put their arms around you and be like, I love you so much. You're the best mom ever. But it's like we react and then they really overreact. Right. I liken it to surfing. I love to surf and it's like you just jump on the wave. Your head is going to end up in the sand anyway, regardless, you know, at some point. But ride the wave, you know. And I feel like with drinking, even if it is a little bit or one glass of wine, you're either going to skew the boundary too much or you're going to overreact. So I find Mm. those two things like, yeah, sure, you can go out with your friends, like you're too relaxed, and you don't maintain the you're not consistent, or you are like, and you go all psycho mom. Yeah, totally. And you know, I always say this, probably every podcast episode is that we never judge the moms who drink, because it's so clear why. Yeah, Right? It's just so clear why moms drink because it is so hard to put ourselves to the side. Yes. And to not react and to not take things personally. Yeah, just just to let it go, just to ride the wave. Like I need that reminder all of the time because I'm like, wait, I'm doing everything for you. Right. right? Like right. and I would never say that to them because I don't want to be the martyr mom who they resent and stuff like that. But we have feelings, right? Right. Like, right moms right. have feelings. I I know, like, when I was growing up, I didn't know my mom had feelings. Like, she was just my mom. She didn't have feelings. She didn't have feelings. Right. And to be on the other side of it can just be so heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. (gasps) And you also can't bank behavior just because you gave them everything. They're still going to grow and develop. And, you know, yeah. Yes, totally. Yeah. It's funny, too, how you said like dealing with teens. And then you said, well, and also toddlers. They're the same. (laughs) Okay. Tell me about that. The term three major comes, it's psychologically, they're the same because they're going through a process called individuation. So for your three-year-old, literally they are enmeshed with you so much before this process that when they bonk their heads, they think you feel the pain. Like it's, you're one, you know? And then what happens is they start to individuate. And that's why you get that crazy resistance, defiant behavior. No, I'll do it myself. No, I don't love you. Because they're trying to navigate the world without you, knowing they're their own person, right? Yes, yes. And then the teenager goes through the same thing. The stakes are higher because they're separating from you by driving, by maybe trying drugs and drinking, sex. You've got all these things. Then college, you know, like there's a lot but they're still trying to separate from you. So that's where you get all that crankiness. So I love the term three-nager 
because I love teenagers. I don't think it's a negative term at all. They're going through the same process. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that's so interesting. They're, they're really cool. But like for me, I think there's no place for alcohol in teenagehood, like f- as a parent, oh, f- because like how sharp you have to be and ready. <laughs> totally. Yes. And as, you know, a, a mom to a baby or a toddler, that's what became so clear to me when I stopped that I was like, oh, holy shit, this just really does make motherhood harder. It makes anything harder. Yeah. It just makes motherhood so much harder. And it's already hard. It's already hard. And I think it goes back to that thing, like you were talking about taking the space. So one thing I learned, I was tending bar when the world went non-smoking. So I worked for years in smoky bars. We were all smoking. And I remember when people started to have to go outside. And I remember, because I was smoking, and then I quit smoking. And I was like, oh, I just need to step outside. I need a break. And my manager or boss would be like, no. But the people who smoked, they understood. And they would like, yeah, go ahead. Go take a couple of drafts. Seven minutes, right? They get seven minutes. And And I'm like, wait, I want seven minutes. A spiritual teacher who said smoking was actually, it was a way to breathe. Because you literally Mm. are breathing more rhythmically by taking in your smoke and exhaling it. You're doing an actual breathing practice. You're just clouding up the breath, right? And so I started to think about that because I was like, how come the people that smoke get a little breather and the people who don't smoke? So I just started going outside. I was like, I'm going to go have a cigarette. I wouldn't have a cigarette. I just stay outside and take a few minutes. And I realized that too with alcohol is that moment that you feel like if I just had a drink, I'd be a nicer mom. I wouldn't be so, I, I wouldn't be such a bitch at the witching hour because it's always five o'clock. That's the you know, four to six yes. is the witching hour. And so I was like, well, what do I need? So I make my fake gin and tonic and I sit outside on my deck and I'm like, I take the time that I would have and I get the same fucking relaxation. It's like, oh, it feels like I had a glass of wine because I'm like, oh, there it is. Just. And then it doesn't catch up to you to spike your anxiety later. Yes. Like then it actually – you're reaping the benefits. That's just highlighting it right there. We're not saying take alcohol out of the equation and then you can just figure it out and stay in it. No, no, no. We're saying take alcohol out of the equation so then you can give yourself what you actually need and what will actually help your anxiety. Yeah. That's why I always say sobriety is so much more – to me than just like removing alcohol. I got to put things in its place that make my life just so much better and make motherhood so much more enjoyable. Like I get to enjoy motherhood now and enjoy my- You get the small moments, right? That you just wouldn't necessarily breathe in. I'm in New England, the foliage, like just every leaf is a miracle right now, you know? Yes. And that you didn't even know you were missing, right? And so like for me, if even if it was like two glasses of wine, three glasses of wine, I would have thought like, well, I'm not getting wasted. I'm not blacking out. Right. And so like I'm not missing anything. And it's not until you take it away that you were like, oh, holy shit. I was missing like, yeah, all of those small things that make up a wonderful full life. Well, and for me too, so much of the alcohol is like, it's abandoning yourself, right? Because you need something in the moment that you can't necessarily ask for or get. And so you abandon your future self or your little self, you know? So if I, like I said, if I go to a party and I'm not having fun, if I drink to make it more fun, I'm abandoning myself. Totally. I should just leave the party. If I don't enjoy somebody who's drunk or drinking, I shouldn't try to fit them. And I'm a freaking recovering people pleaser to no end. So like, I'm not going to make it okay for me to be with you. I'm just going to (laughs) go. Like, you know, it's so true. Yeah. And you really are choosing their comfort, how they feel, what they need, what they want. Or what society asks. Like if you're quiet and you don't want to go, you're more of an introvert. You drink for social lubrication maybe you don't need to be lubricated. (laughs) Right. And really what it does is it just makes you not care. Right. It makes you not care. Sure. It makes you not care about, you know, whether the party is shoes on or shoes off. (laughs) And it makes you not care about that. But it also makes you not care about everything. Yeah. It, It just is a blanket like, oh, okay. Like, 
thank God I don't care, but you just don't care about anything. Yeah, you don't also care about your karaoke singing or your dancing. Totally. <laughs> Who you made out with in the closet. <laughs> right. Or the fact that you have to drive or the fact that your kids are in the car right. like, or the fact that you're married or the fact that you work with these people. It just makes you not care. And I totally understand that because it's hard to care a lot. And as mothers, of course, like we care a lot. But man, this well, is a really what it big is. thing. It's a collective burden, right? That's why I think yeah. the mom culture. I mean, reading Quit Like a Woman was so, just like such a great book. Just the history of how women have been marketed to. And it's funny because we talked about this on my podcast. The minute Kettle Botanicals came out, I was like, that is slick marketing. Because even I was like, I want an embossed can. The, right? the fake gin and tonics come in cans that are embossed. So you have- yeah, See, there you go. <laughs> see, it's so pretty. You still, oh my God, my friend just sent me, you know, Cameron Diaz's like organic wine line. It's like Aveline or something like that. I don't even know. And the ad on Facebook says, sleep better tonight. Oh, like, yeah. For her wine. It's like insane. Yeah. That's the other thing, just treasuring sleep so much as a menopausal oh. woman and going back to like, no, I'm not going to sleep when I'm dead. I'm going to be dead when I'm dead. Like, how yeah. about I live a better life yes. now with better sleep? And so, you know, oh I go to God. bed at 8.30 and I have no patience for that. Like, you know, is it menopause? Is it booze? What's waking you up at three in the morning? Sugar, you know, the anxiety. Like, I don't have anxiety. But that, like, you wake up in the morning, like, ah, like, just... Oh my God, the, the the shame spiral and that just like, yeah, that doomsday kind of thinking yeah. and feeling. Well, and shame like, for me, just the literal uh, physiological sugar and booze just make you like, just generalized, undis, un, unrecognized anxiety, like about nothing, you know? I am on like day three, let's say, no, maybe day four of like no processed like oh, white sugar. So like no candy, no and there's Halloween candy in the house right now. No candy, no treats like that. And so day four, that's big for me. That's huge. Yeah. That's you huge, had, right? You had talked about it on my podcast. You're like, I gotta give up sugar. <laughs> oh my God. And when, when was that? I've been talking about this for literally like I'm sure. 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> well I'm on a few weeks of no caffeine and I have only given up coffee. I've been drinking coffee since I was 16. I gave it up what? once in my life and I was like the sun stopped shining. I'm not gonna yeah okay so this is because of the psilocybin thing that it that I just was like what are you doing you, you don't need to be hopped up and you're doing okay without it yeah really no headaches oh yeah the first week was brutal because I I've been drinking okay. coffee my whole life so yeah I tapered so I I quit all coffee and then I was doing caffeine pills like a half in the morning and a half in the afternoon to keep okay. the headaches a little at bay yeah yeah but it only took like four days for the headaches I don't think I could do it. I romanticize the hell out of coffee. Like, you know, that cozy, like it never delivers. I mean, maybe that first sip. But other than that, it just doesn't deliver what I always think it's going to. Here was Michael. So Michael Pollan did the book on like psychedelics and he did a whole chapter on coffee. And he gave up coffee for three months so he could do these like caffeine rituals. They have some tobacco rituals in other countries. And he was like, if you give it up for a little amount of time and you go back to it, you get the drug aspect, but I think it's a pretty good drug. Like, I'm okay with that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So with, I'm yeah. not going to go, like, if I go to Italy, it's bad enough I'm not eating the gelato or the wine. Yeah. I'm having yeah. the coffee. And so I have been having, like, when I say I quit coffee, I quit being a slave to coffee. You know, I was away in New Hampshire, was, like, leaf peeping, and I was like, I'm going to have a latte because, like, that, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I'll use it in the romantic way. I just didn't okay, want to be like, good. okay, I need it in the morning. I can't make a move without it. That's me. I try every morning. I'm like, I'm going to drink water before I drink my coffee. And then I just always forget because <laughs> I'm like, I'm like laser focused. I'm like, and I was like, oh, fuck, I forgot my water. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's yeah. the other thing as a woman, like, because I play around with all kinds of dietary strategies. I love like trying intermittent fasting, trying this, trying that. Yes. And I love to not eat till the sun comes up because I get up at four. And I was just putting coffee in my system first. And like you, I'd forget to drink the water. And then Holly Whitaker's book, I just loved her whole morning routine that she lays out of creating space for yourself. And I actually did a podcast referencing that as a blueprint for parents to do this so they don't lose their shit by the end of the day. Totally. You know, because in her context, it was cravings happen around four or five o'clock because everything's stacked up. So if you can you know, mitigate that energy throughout the day. 
Yes. And then she was like, you need lemon water. And I was like, I don't have lemon water, which I don't like. It makes me nauseous. But I just started drinking water in the morning. Okay. That's good. I know. If I don't get up before my kids every day, I'm also a monster. It helps that witching hour so much. Like I have to have that time. I don't know another way around that. And people ask me all the time, I don't want to get up early. I need to sleep. And I was like, you need to get up before your kids. You have to have that time. You have to prepare. Because if you all hit the ground at the same time, you're you're just behind. You're automatically behind. It makes so much sense that like preparing for the witching hour. And I have a whole podcast episode about the witching hour and how to survive it in sobriety. But Mm -hmm. like getting up early, getting up before the kids is going to help you with the witching hour. Like and planning for, sure. for it. Like I just it's really funny, like in my work with parents, is I'm like, did you think this was gonna change on its own? Exactly. Like, hope springs eternal every day. Like today the witching hour is not gonna happen, and then you're you're in it, you know. That's even what I say. I'm like, don't get caught off guard by it. Like it will happen. Yeah. Just like tantrums, like I count on tantrums. Like then I'm not surprised by them. They don't take me over. I don't try to stop them. I'm just like, no, they're yep. There it goes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I tell parents too, like, that's like a huge connection time, the witching hour. So that's like a time to, and remember your kids are strung out too. Yes. Like they're at the end of their rope. So it's like, dude, you know, even if you allow screen time, watching a movie together can be connection time if you're all engaged, you know? Yes. And so like, maybe that's all everybody in the living room for an episode of Bluey or something. So we can all just chill out and recalibrate. You know? Yes. Yeah. I love that. Oh my God, Jamie, thank you. Yeah. I love our talk. We just need to keep meeting on our podcasts every so often I and do check in. I know this, this flew by. I was like, oh, I, I know how to keep talking. <laughs> I know, me too. Okay, tell everybody where we can find you. Um, so my Instagram is jamie.glowacky. And then YouTube is Oh Crap Parenting and Potty Training. And then my podcast is Oh Crap Parenting. And my other podcast is Oh Crap Potty Training. Yeah, and then my website is jamieglowacky.com. You can find everything there. Okay, good. We'll link it all in the show notes. And Jamie, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Sober Mom Life. If you loved it, please rate and review it wherever you listen. Five stars is amazing. Also, follow me on Instagram at The Sober Mom Life. Okay, I'll see you next week. I'm going to go reheat my coffee. Bye. It's easy to blame ourselves for our struggles with alcohol. We see people around us being able to control their drinking without any consequences, yet no matter what we try, we can't seem to figure it out for ourselves. My name is Jillian Teets, and I am the host of the Sober Powered Podcast, where I use my biochemistry background to explain the latest research in addiction and help you understand both why you drink the way you do and how to develop the skills and mindset you need to find freedom from alcohol. I discuss topics like why we think about our drinking 24-7, why we have no off switch, and why we crave alcohol. If you're struggling with your drinking or you know someone who is, then I hope that you will check out the Sober Powered Podcast. New episodes every Friday. See you there.